North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Hello, it is that time for another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I am Dr. Lauren Noel. I'm your host, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited for my show tonight. I have my good friend, Andrea Nakayama, on the show. We're talking all about functional nutrition mastery and a little bit more about the trainings that she offers and just digging deeper when it comes to symptoms. She's really, really a smart, smart cookie. I'll just share a little bit more about her in just a few minutes. But if any of you were at the Fit Life Live event over the weekend, so much fun here in San Diego with my good friend, Drew Canoli. I had the opportunity to speak all about the gut-brain connection and just how monumental our gut bacteria, our microbiome is to the overall function of our body. It is just mind-blowing, the research that is emerging all the time about this this system. So uh, I'm going to try to get my hands on that on that recording and see if I can share it with you guys. If you want to go over to shinenaturalmedicine.com and sign up for email updates, I will keep you guys in the loop about that. Also just want to say thank you so much for those of you who have written reviews over on iTunes. I read each and every one of those and it just warms my heart and means the world to me. If you've been listening to the show and you like what you've been hearing, please go over to iTunes and leave me a five star. It just shows other people that you know people are listening to the show and uh, it's just really great to uh, just spread the love. So that would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for those of you who have done that. With all that said, let's jump into the show. All right, we have the amazing Andrea Nakayama on the show. She is a functional nutritionist and educator. She's leading patients and practitioners around the world in a revolution to reclaim ownership over our own health. Her passion for food as personalized medicine was born from the loss of her young husband to a brain tumor in 2002. She's now regularly consulted as the nutrition expert for the toughest clinical cases and the practices of many world-renowned doctors, and she trains a thousand practitioners a year in her methodologies. So how so great to have you, Andrea, to the show, and welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much, Dr. Lowe. So great to have you. And I've, I've probably hung out with you a few times in person, maybe at least four or five times at different conferences and things. And it's always fun to catch up with you. And, and your story is crazy. Just how you, you know, came to what you're doing now. And so much of it came out of, out of hardship, but you really have turned this into your passion and you're helping thousands of people around the world. So it's amazing. Um, would you say that, that some of what you do is based on your own health issues or is it based on other kinds of experiences? Yeah, both. So as you noted in the introduction, I lost my husband to a brain tumor about 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. And what I really witnessed while he was going through that, and I, I had a different career at that point. So this is a second career for me. But what I saw him going through was that he was treated like his diagnosis. So he was essentially a walking brain tumor. And mm -hmm. he had one of the most grave brain tumors. So he was given about six months to live. I was seven weeks pregnant at the time. Wow. He was in his early 30s. And everywhere we went, here he was a very stoic, very intelligent man. And he was treated like a dead man. And mm. that really was a wake-up call for me 
in how we how our medical system operates and how disease focused it is so that was really part of the underpinnings we also extended his life quite a bit through the work that we did and of course i can't go back and attribute it to any one thing but we did a tremendous amount of diet and lifestyle modification to keep him alive for as long as we could and he survived about two and a half years instead wow. of just the six month prognosis he was given. So he had a good year and a half with our with our son. Mm. And that really catapulted a passion that I had for what diet and lifestyle modification mean and really going into the nuances of what we mean when we say food is medicine. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a lot different than what we might think of. There's, you know, you've, you've kind of dived into this whole um, field of functional nutrition, and and we'll talk about that. So when you first shifted into focusing more on your current career, what did, you know, give us a little bit of the history, what did you first start with, and, and now bringing you to what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at first I really felt like my passion was in helping other people with cancer. After my husband's brain cancer, I really wanted to work with people in the realm of cancer and autoimmunity. And as I was putting myself back through school, doing all my post-bac, pre-med, pre-recs, I was focused on this deep connection between food and immunity. And I had the opportunity to actually teach an eat-to-beat cancer class with a local naturopathic oncologist here in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And slowly that shifted and morphed and I got really interested in brain health. And my, uh, my allowance for that was that my husband had a brain tumor. So, you know, of course the passion for the brain made sense. And it was really the gut brain connection that sparked my interest and in understanding the underpinning of digestive health in all aspects of our health. And as I started working in clinic and uh, seeing clients of my own and that progression, it really shifted to how I work, not who I see. And I was able to unpack the different principles that I applied in practice that were really affecting change. And I then began to teach other practitioners in Holistic Nutrition Lab because they were begging me to teach them and to share the successes that I was having. And through that process, I've been to be, I've been able to unpack even more what it is that I do to help those who have been everywhere and done everything. They're just not getting better. They're seeing the top doctors and how it is that I'm able to empower the individual to be the agent of their own change. And I truly believe that the way we change the way we do healthcare is by empowering the patient. And I've created a whole paradigm that I teach practitioners that unpacks that entire philosophy Mm. so we can speak into it. Mm. That's so freaking awesome. I remember back when I was a a patient at Kaiser back in the day, back in high school. And I always say Kaiser is the reason why I'm a doctor now. (laughs) Um, You know, nothing bad about Kaiser, but just the kind of experience I had uh, was really the reason why I, I decided to go to medical school. And 
I went to medical school to learn it for myself and to be a great, you know, mom and wife and all of that. And um, I wanted to be able to protect my family and myself and never have to feel like a victim to medicine again. Um, if there were doctors who were practicing th- what you just described, I probably wouldn't have gone to, to medical school. Um, it just, it happens to be that I have an awesome practice and I'm able to see patients and all of that. But really I went into it cause I wanted to learn it based on my experience of feeling like a number, like you said, with your, you know, with your husband and, yeah. um, and just feeling like I felt so clueless as to what was going on with my health and I, nothing was explained to me. So it sounds like that's what you're turning that upside down is, is giving people that, empowerment, the information where they are, they're able to understand how their body works, right. And how to really, um, get to the root of, of their own issues and for practitioners to learn a lot more of how they can do that for their patients. Absolutely. And, you know, I should add that I myself have Hashimoto's. So that was diagnosed later sometime after my husband died. Not surprisingly, I'm sure your audience knows that pregnancy and stress are triggers for autoimmunity and for hormone imbalances. So, um, you know, through that process, I had to uncover a lot myself and become my own Hashimoto's expert. And I train other practitioners to be Hashimoto's experts as well. But it takes a deeper understanding understanding. And one of the beauties of functional medicine is a premise that we work in systems, that we understand systems in order to uncover the complexities of our health. And health is getting more and more complex. There isn't one size fits all. And there's no one pill protocol or practitioner that's going to answer all of your problems. And we need systems to sit in the unknown and to problem solve. And it's those systems that I've really created both for the individual, for the patient and the practitioner to really bring us into that discomfort of, well, I don't know all the answers here and it's not going to look one way all the time. Yeah. What, what, what is functional nutrition exactly? I know this is, this is something you're really dedicating so much of your career to and, you know, how is it different from some of the other therapies that are out there? Yeah, I think we talk a lot about holistic nutrition and we talk a lot about um, health coaching. We talk a lot about functional medicine. And what I see is that functional nutrition is really where we understand the true principles of food as medicine and the bioindividuality, what that really means. So what I like to say is that functional medicine has identified three key components that are at the core of what it's meant to do. And those three components are that we work in systems, like I said, that we work in partnership, and that we always look for the root cause. So when we move into the realm of diet and lifestyle modification, so the realm of nutrition, we really have to figure out how to take those messages home. So I like to think of a continuum. I'm a big fan of continuums when it comes to our signs and symptoms, when it comes to thinking into uh, how we you know, address different aspects of things. Functional medicine is on one end of the continuum, and there's a realm in which a medical professional can understand the underpinnings of nutrition. And health coaching is looking at, um, you know, really getting somebody into the realm of compliance and helping them understand things. Functional nutrition exists in the middle of that, where we're really diving into a number of 
uh, aspects that impact the individual. I like to call this how we use empathy in practice. So really understanding who is it that I'm working with from a number of standpoints. Who is this situationally? You know, if you have um, Hashimoto's but you've just been through surgery or had a car accident, I'm going to treat that, address that differently than if you're having Hashimoto's right after you had a baby. So understanding situation, understanding the cultural implications, mm-hmm. understanding the um, the your spiritual or your environmental factors. So really understanding who is this individual and how do I modify or design the therapies to actually meet your needs. Mm. And as an individual, helping yourself, recognizing that there are going to be distinctions that are true for you that may not look the same way as the autoimmune paleo book you're reading or the root cause Hashimoto's book you're reading. You may have different infections than another person. You may have different environmental toxins than another person. And your environmental load, what you have to deal with, may be different. And so those distinctions that we we all hold inside of us really inform the treatment that's going to work best for us. And I think that's a huge missing factor in our thinking. Um, and, and, you know, we miss the point of thinking functionally. For sure. And, and what's required from that is seeing someone who can really spend a lot more time with you to really get to know you and ask those questions. And one of the questions I ask every patient, right, the first appointment is tell me more about you besides your medical stuff, you know, and they're like, well, what do you what do you mean? What do you I mean, it's like, it's like perplexing that a doctor is asking about me personally, that's so weird. Um, but it, 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 like you said, everyone is so different. And all those things are a part of who you are beyond just your symptoms. And, you know, and I'll say, tell me about your life story, you know, start from, from yes. birth. I I mean, what happened when you were young? What was the nature of your birth like? Were you breastfed? Um, were yes. you vaccinated? Tell me all about that stuff. Because yes, you have your symptoms that are going on right now, but you have a long history, you know? So um, absolutely. are there any, absolutely. any specific questions that you feel like doctors miss out on or forget to ask that you think are important? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I mean, I just think that we forget to ask what somebody's eating every day. Like really, just mm-hmm. the tracking of what are you taking in day in and day out and at what time and how do you feel throughout the day? How are you sleeping People forget to ask, like, what it, and sleep is such a huge component that impacts our stress level, our immune function, our hormone function. Looking at the particulars of blood sugar that are related to an individual and how that might be affecting their metabolism. We, we apply these labels to things like resistant weight loss or hormone imbalance or thyroid issues, but we have to understand that everybody has has a different set of factors that led them to the signs, symptoms, or diagnosis that they're experiencing. And it's our job in partnership, both patient and practitioner, to uncover the reasons that brought us there, that history, so that we can reverse and address those underlying imbalances. So yeah, everything from lifestyle factors are being missed, digestive function is being missed. I don't think doctors are asking enough about how much we eliminate or if we have digestive symptoms. So people tend to uh, show up at the doctor 
and address the factors that they think that doctor is is speaking about. So we might go to a dermatologist, but we're not going to talk about our cycles or our digestive function or our moods or our sleep because that doctor is dealing with our skin. So we talk about just what is related to that function. Of course, you work differently than that because you work in a functional matter, but we really need to dive in more deeply, especially when we're not getting better. That's when we need to slow down and ask a whole different set of questions. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, I notice when I'm traveling is just how different healthcare is in so many other countries. Oh, um, yeah. And when I come back to the US, it's like, wow, it is just crazy how far off we've gotten. So I know you are a woman on a mission. You're really, really committed to changing the way that we do healthcare. What do you feel are some of the, the things that most need changing? I think, you know, we really need to, there's, there's some key premises that we need to consider. So one of them is what I call back it up. And back it up speaks to both not getting caught in the diagnosis. So a lot of times when we receive a diagnosis as a patient, that's what we want to quote unquote treat. We think, oh, I have to address my Hashimoto's. I have to address even my estrogen dominance or my adrenal fatigue. And really, we have to back it up and understand those underlying causes that led us there. What is at play? We might be skipping something that is at, uh, that is at the root of that, like lack of sleep or not good quality sleep or toxicity due to lack of elimination. We also need to be thinking of back it up in terms of understanding digestive function. And digestive function is key, especially when it comes to nutrition. And this is often overlooked because we need to make sure that the person is able to utilize the nutrients that they're bringing in. So this is a huge problem I see in nutrition where we think we're eating the quote unquote perfect diet, and yet we can't utilize the nutrients because we're not able to break them down or we're not able to absorb them due to the health of the digestive tract. So for me, back it up is remembering not to get caught in a diagnosis and mm -hmm. to just treat that. And it's also backing it up to the fact that in order to utilize what we take in, we need to make sure that the organ systems are fully functional. And I know for myself with Hashimoto's, that one of the root causes of any autoimmune condition are imbalances in my digestive system. So mm -hmm. both leaky gut and the potential for infection, those are there. We know in looking at uh, the trifecta that leads to autoimmunity that there's going to be genetic predisposition, leaky gut, and some sort of infection. Now, I don't feel digestive issues. I don't have issues eliminating like a lot of people with hypothyroidism. I don't have any gas and bloating. But I know that those are at the root of the expression of the condition. So I have to back it up and know that even though I don't feel digestive distress, I need to work on my digestive health. So that's one of the premises that I think is really key to um, how we actually start to think into how we support ourselves. I have more, but I'll, I'll let you ask more questions. <laughs> no, it's so good. I mean, if you have anything else, I'm like, this is awesome. I think this is so important. I just... Um, 
Just re- did you ever see the the uh, the new documentary Vaxed by chance? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No. Oh my gosh! Everyone listening, guys, I haven't mentioned this yet on the show. You have to go see this movie Vaxed. It is on just a lot of the hidden information about vaccines that you were never supposed yes. to know, mm-hmm. and just how the CDC destroyed and got rid of many documents that you were never meant to see. And, and it's even information hidden from, from doctors, from very well to do, you know, honest doctors who didn't get the information. Um, at the end of the movie, they, they had a couple of the doctors from the show, the doctors, um, both the African-American, a very attractive female doctor, and then Dr. Sears, who's also on the show and um, ask them about their opinion on vaccines. I know this is a tangent, but it's all connected. So ask them about um, their opinion on vaccines. Both of them are very supportive. Um, both of them were given the papers that had been, you know, quote unquote, destroyed that they were able to to find. Mm-hmm. And both of the doctors read the papers. And at the end, their opinions on vaccines were very different. Um, uh, I can't remember her, her name, but the female doctor, she had said, um, after seeing this information, I will not recommend the MMR vaccine anymore. Um, and she was actually pregnant when she said that. So it really struck a chord with her. That was very personal. Um, so it's just, uh, I don't know what made me go into that direction, but just knowing, you know, that like, like the, the personal responsibility and just understanding about your body and just getting the full picture is just so, so important. And I love that you went there because it's totally related to our gut function. And when we are taking, you know, immunizations or antibiotics or any pharmaceuticals, we are impacting our gut terrain. And um, we have to be aware of that. I'm not against medication. I'm a both and person. To me, the realm of functional nutrition isn't to say my way is better. It's always to work in partnership for the end cause and the best result for the patient. And that's really key for me. It's why I think partnerships are so important. And at the head of the partnership is the patient, but the patient needs to be educated. As patients, we've gotten so far away from understanding our bodies and what's impacting us. And we're following a tide that may not have our best interests at heart, not on purpose. So I'm not against, you know, modern medicine. I think there was a reason everything happened and there are instances where modern medicine saves many lives, but it doesn't come without a price. And we're seeing that price uh, like in reality more and more with the chronic illnesses that people are suffering. And I don't know about you, Dr. Noel, but I see more and more people who just aren't getting better. And if that's the case for you, it takes the stepping back and really saying, okay, if I'm not getting better, what do I need to learn about myself and what do I need to do to empower myself being the leader of my own healthcare team? And that might take some education and some patience and some curiosity. And I think what we think instead is that one thing is going to do it. Either we go paleo or autoimmune paleo or ketogenic or we start trying these different diets. People come to us eating three foods because they're uh, detecting symptoms with everything they eat. And if that's the case, the underlying physiological work hasn't been done to create remedy. We are not built to exist on a limited amount of food. We need the nutrients from that food. And healing diets are nutrient-depleting 
So we need to make sure if we're eating a healing diet protocol that we're doing it for the right reasons with support and that we're doing the underlying work to do the healing that the body and the cells need to thrive. Mm, I love that. One of the first shows I ever did about almost five years ago um, with Dr. Dick Tom, he was one of my professors in school, was on yeah. um, chronic disease cases and how to treat those, those patients. Um, I remember asking him for these patients that are so complex and are so sick and have so much going on. I mean, as a new doctor, you know, what do I do? What do I mean? How, like, how do we even sift through that? And he said, every time you got to start with the foundation first, you have to make sure that, you know, the, the, the nutrition, the sleep, the, the stress management, the movement, as much of that is happening because it's so easy to get caught into all these complicated symptoms and forget about that healthy base. Absolutely. And I call that clearing the muddy waters. So in order to see what actually still exists, we need to do the foundational work to clear away what we can. And what I see all too often is that we as patients aren't fully honest with ourselves about what we're actually eating or how we're living or what we're doing to support ourselves. And it's just that slowing down. And I don't mean to call anybody out. I mean, recently I I did a food mood poop challenge for my <laughs> audience with our tracking mechanism and I was doing it myself and real posting my results on so our Facebook what's, page. So what's a food mood poop? <laughs> you have to say, what is yeah. that? <laughs> so for me, I, you know, I'm a big fan of tracking. I think that, you know, when we start to slow it down and see what's actually happening, that's where the nuggets and the gems really are revealed. So we have a tracker that we call a food mood poop tracker. You track what you eat. You're not counting calories. You're not, um, it's not about amounts. It's just what are you eating? Mood for us is in quotes. It's really any sign or symptom. And you're just tracking when that comes up or is noticeable in a day. And poop, you're putting on a Bristol stool chart when you poop, what it looks like in terms of the Bristol stool um you know, function. So you don't have to talk about it in too much detail. You can use a number to... I, <coughs> identify it. But that tracking for three to five days really starts to elucidate what might be true for you. Where might you be having dips? Where might you need snacks? Where is there something that can shift in your lifestyle that you have control over? One of the things I love about food mood poop tracking is that I like to have people take out their highlighters and say, did you get fat, fiber, and protein in with every meal? And what colors did you get in your diet today? And And those shifts alone can make a tremendous difference in how we feel and how we're able to heal. And so it's these tiny things that we have more control over than we think because we're chasing some very complex, you know, how do I deal with the biofilms or manage my hormones? And and I'm all for that because I deal with those complex cases, but we can't do that until we've created a very solid foundation where what you're doing every single day supports that upper level of work. Mm, I love that. I know that you that you practice what you preach. What what would you say would be things that you're doing on a daily or semi regular basis to really add to your health? Um, if there's certain foods you absolutely love to eat that you know might not be something we would first think of, or um, you know any specific kind of uh, habits that you're doing. 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, non-negotiable for me is sleep. Mm -hmm. So sleep to me is super important. When I first figured out that I had Hashimoto's, I knew I had to deal with the adrenal fatigue. If you think about it, I was pregnant. My husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. He then died. I had an infant, like major stress and hormonal changes happening all at once. Perfect storm for autoimmunity. So I knew I had to deal with my adrenals first and foremost. And I like to create a a cradle for that. And part of that cradle is is managing my blood sugar and really paying heed to my sleep. So um, I did some hormone testing. I saw that my my cortisol levels kind of spike at 11 p.m. So that that rush of energy that many of us get, like, oh, I'm most productive after the kids are asleep. And when it's 11 o'clock, I write my best writing. But I noticed that that didn't work for me because then my sleep was not only um, lesser in time and length, but also lesser in quality. So I go to sleep by 10 p.m. every night and I like to get up early and make sure that I'm moving in the morning. And I also like to make sure that I'm tending to my gut microbiome. So uh, I actually have a gift for everybody that they can get at replenishpdx.com forward slash low. And that's my feed your microbiome ebook. And that's really about thinking about the foods that we can eat to support our diversity in our gut. And that's a huge key to our health. So we not only want to be eating to feed ourselves, to be mitigating our blood sugar, to get the nutrients that we need, but we want to feed our um, microbiome as well. And we do that through resistant starch and probiotic rich foods and polyphenols. And there's different ways we can get good foods in to make sure that we're getting those nutrients in. Mm. What do you, how do you do the resistant starch thing? Any simple tips on, on doing that at home? Yeah, definitely. You can do uh, cold cooked potatoes. If you eat potatoes, that's an okay way to eat them. I don't eat cooked potatoes, but I'll eat cold potatoes. You can um, do uh, even if you're eating rice. Again, I don't eat grains, but cold rice is going to work. I like to eat plantains. So uh, what I do in the morning often is I'll make a plantain bread, and that recipe is in the Feed Your Microbiome ebook. So I make a plantain bread. It's a green plantain with coconut flour and coconut milk and psyllium husk. I bake that up after I've blended all the ingredients and then I stick that in my refrigerator. So I do that quickly in the morning and then I eat it when it's cold. So I'll eat it with some ghee and maybe some mashed blueberries on top. And that way I'm getting some resistant starch from my green plantains. And I know it sounds weird, but I don't eat grains. So I don't eat bread and I love bready things. <laughs> so I, I figured out how to get my, uh, you know, starchy fix needs met. Yum. So for, let's say someone wanted to do the rice thing, they it's cooked rice, right? And then yes. they have it be cold and then they do some of that. Or if it's uh, potatoes, it's cooked potatoes and then doing a little bit of that. How much do you think is a good amount to start with? 
Mm, we always want to start low when it comes to these resistant starches and see what works for us. Mm -hmm. So just start with a small amount and then see how it feels. When we start to feed our microbiome, whether it be with good bacteria, resistant starch, any of it, we definitely want to check in with our gut because what we see more and more is that people have compromised gut function, have low diversity in their intestines. So as we start to feed that, we want to just check in and it's going to be different for all of us. You know, I might be able to uh, take a whole bunch of probiotics at once and feel okay with that, whereas some of my clients can't even take one capsule of the recommended probiotic that we use. And in that case, we start really low and we go slow. So if you're adding resistant starch, you want to think through that same lens. Start low, go slow. And just, you know, you can start with even just, uh, you know, an eighth of a cup of, of potato or, or uh, rice and mm -hmm. see how that feels for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all about slow and steady. That's yes. Awesome. I love this. And so much of my, so many of my patients are, are gut cases. So I know a lot of them listening. This will be really, really good stuff for them. We're, we're all gut cases. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> we're all cases. Let's be honest. <laughs> so a lot of my listeners are medical school students and practitioners. I know that you do some training for, for those folks. So can you tell a little bit about that and then um, other projects that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So Holistic Nutrition Lab is my training in the art and science of the functional nutrition practice. And this really does speak into my whole paradigm. So we actually start that with um, our digestive intensive. And the digestive intensive is a five-week course where we really do go deep into all the places where food meets physiology. So I call this symbiosis. And and where we really need to understand where those two things meet. And that's where we become detectives because we can understand anatomy and physiology like a lot of the MDs and NDs do that have gone through my training, but they might not know that deeper place where the food meets the physiology and how we use people's signs and symptoms as part of our clues for getting in deeper to understanding what's going on with them. And then I Nine-month training is called Full Body Systems, and in that training we go through, it includes the digestive intensive, the immune intensive, the uh, urinary intensive, um, cardiometabolic, endocrine, neuro, and reproductive. So seven different intensives with lots of bonus material, and we're diving in deep to really understand these places where we start to think into how we work. And I purposefully teach through story. I'm not teaching through an evidence-based model. I have a lot of concern about that model of teaching. And I don't necessarily think it's where we actually meet our, our clients or patients. So yeah. I teach through story. My evidence is the physiology. This is what exists and this is why it's going to happen. And um, we're looking through the realm of empathy and leadership and we're understanding nutrition skills and symbiosis and anatomy and physiology and problem solving so that really we can sit in that unknown that I was talking about earlier and work with each individual and their unique story. 
Wow. How refreshing would that be for a patient going to a practitioner who's coming from a place of empathy and really wanting to understand the physiology of that patient rather than having that person fit the symptoms of a diagnosis? Yes. So, I mean, the people who come into our clinic are just so relieved. I'm sure same with you, um, Dr. Noel, just that, that understanding that it takes more for us to see where the underlying imbalances are. And, uh, we have a very lengthy intake process that includes working with my intake specialist. Mm -hmm. And that process alone is all about story. There's no recommendations, but it's such a powerful session because people aren't fully heard. Yeah. They're just, it's just not happening. Well, part of the medicine is just, is being heard. Like you said, having someone listen to you and, and get your story and even just having, like you said, that empathy of what you've been through and, and what this experience, you know, maybe just a little glimpse of what that's been like. I mean, having someone really hear you and get you is so therapeutic. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I actually teach into the realm of empathy because I think that as practitioners, many of us are doing empathy all wrong. Mm -hmm. So I like to say it's about, it's not about feeling our patient's pain. It's about seeing the pain. And in order to see the pain, we need to really ask the right questions, inquire. We need to identify what's true for that person. And we need to integrate that into their therapeutics. So I've actually developed a system that includes different aspects, like I was saying, the environmental, the emotional, the cultural, the sociological, the habitual, we're each very different in those distinct ways and not just in our physiology. And it's for me understanding what's this person's relationship to habit change that's going to help me help them Mm. as opposed to just saying, you know, everybody functions like I do. So, you know, why are they having a problem going gluten-free? Like, if they're a rebel, if they're a questioner, how is it that I can identify this person sitting with me is going to have the most success? And Mm. that's what I think empathy in practice is. It's really our ability to see the individual for who they are and make no assumptions, so as practitioners, how can we know if someone is a questioner or a rebel or all of those things? You talk about that in your training? I do. I have a whole That's training cool. on empathy <laughs> <laughs> where we actually dive into what are the questions you ask to be able to determine these things through these different lenses, inquire, identify, and integrate. Mm-hmm. And one of them is inquiring to like, how has the environment or the world impacted the individual? And then who is this individual responding to their environment? So let's just take habits, for instance. Habits impacting the individual might be their smoking or their sleep or how they've eaten. And that all has taken a toll on the individual's physiology. And then we turn the tables and say, who is this person responding to habits And how do I understand that? So I like to think of it as like the arrows of the world pointing in towards the individual Mm -hmm. and then the arrows pointing out from the individual into the world. And both those lenses help us to really break down how we see the whole person. And, you know, for the patients listening, who you are as an individual, every aspect of it 
is going to impact your ability to follow protocol, to understand what's necessary for you. It's distinct. And that's scary for a lot of practitioners. And that's where you get to know more about you and share that information than anybody else can know. Mm, that's so beautiful. One of the concepts of, uh, or principles, I guess the foundational tenets of naturopathic medicine is called tole totem. It's uh, mm-hmm. Latin for treat the whole person. And um, it's, it's just, it's so beautiful. And it's such a beautiful experience to have that kind of um you know, that kind of experience as a patient to being treated as a whole person. So it's, uh, it's great. And I love how you're teaching practitioners to do this. Yeah, it needs to be broken down. I think we talk about it a lot as theory and then putting it into practice becomes harder, as yeah. you know, as we actually get into practice. And I think, you know, as practitioners, we f- we want to fix it for people. We want to sure. make it all better. And uh, our goal is, of course, to do that. But we have to recognize that it may, especially in today's day and age, with the increasing rates of chronic illness, take more, go slower, and really just help people know that they don't have to hopscotch from one practitioner to another, mm-hmm. that we can sit with them and be with them. You know, I call it sort of, I joke about, it's like being a Jewish mother, you know, (laughs) it's really like sticking with them through the ups and downs. The road from A to B is never going to be a straight line. Right. And we as practitioners and our patients need to recognize there are going to be ups and downs along the way, but each time that happens, positive or negative, there are more clues for right. us about what's true for you as an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Seeing that in an empowering context is is really very important to have that. Wow, it's juicy stuff. So yeah. <laughs> um, anything else you, you'd love to touch on? Any parting words for our listeners? Um, I'll just let you kind of take it, whatever else you, you'd like to speak on. Yeah, I do think that as patients, I want to speak to the patients here, and we're all patients. So whether you're a practitioner patient or a you know a patient listening, um, I really believe in what I like to consider the medical memoir. And this is really understanding what in functional medicine are called the ATMs. So the ATMs are your antecedents, your triggers, and your mediators. And you knowing this for yourself is really key. So your antecedents are everything about who you are right now in terms of your age, your gender, but where you came from, like Dr. Noel was talking about. What was your mom's pregnancy with you like? What uh, are what were the conditions that people in your family had before you? What can you detect from that information and just track it. Know that about your history. When we move forward, the realm of triggers and mediators can often be very confusing for people. So a trigger, the way I like to ask people to think about their triggers is what, when in your life did you feel the best? And then what happened? And then what happened? So track that. Try to timeline it. Ask yourself the question. Go back to that moment in your life when you felt your best. And the first thing I want to say is if you felt that, that still exists within you. So don't lose that feeling. And remembering it is actually therapeutic in and of itself. But then think about what happened after that. 
for those of us with autoimmunity or other chronic illnesses, usually we can identify a few of those moments really clearly. You heard from me, I said I was pregnant, I was going through a lot of stress. Those were triggers for me in addition to the fact that I have the antecedents. My mom has Hashimoto's and ulcerative colitis, so at least two autoimmune conditions. So those are your triggers. Those are the things that brought you to the state that you are in now. But the mediators are where you really gain back control. And I want to give you that as my parting message. The mediators are the things that help you feel better, or worse. And the more you can identify those for yourself, the more empowered you are to take care of yourself every single day without relying on a practitioner to do that for you. Doesn't mean we're not helping you through the process, but you knowing, well, when I eat sugar, I feel this. When I eat caffeine, I feel that. And the cleaner you are, the cleaner your diet is, the more sensitive you are going to be. I like to call this nonviolent communication with self (laughs) because that means you're not overriding what your body's trying to tell you. You're actually listening into it. So just take a moment to think about those in your everyday. What makes you feel better and what makes you feel worse? Is it a person, an environment, going to bed on time, skin brushing, taking an Epsom salt bath, not eating sugar, not eating gluten? Those things, when you embrace them for yourself, you take back the reins. And that's where I really want to take people to the place where they know they're mediators. This makes me feel better. This makes me feel worse. And I listen to that. Mm, that's amazing. That's, that's the, the magic right there is, and I listen to it. Yes. And also, <laughs> you don't always listen to it, right? But just noticing that and not letting exactly. that shame creep into it, but just being able to notice it and then, you know, shift into what makes you feel better. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you are a busy girl. Did you already finish writing your book? Are you still writing it? Still writing book. It's going to be a little while, but uh, really it will dive into the whole realm of the medical memoir and how we as patients can start to really create those for ourselves and understand that better. I already know it's going to be amazing. Everything you do is at a thousand percent. So I'm sure it'll be just magic and it'll be so great for not only patients, but practitioners to also read. So it's amazing. And you'll have to come back on when, once you finally release that. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Of course. It's so great to have you. And I I hope to see you real soon and give you a big old squeeze. I would love that. (laughs) And then um, remind me um, for my listeners, the gift that you mentioned again. Yes, I have the Feed Your Microbiome ebook and that's at replenishpdx.com forward slash low, L-O. So replenishpdx.com forward slash low. And I hope you enjoy those recipes, including that plantain bread. Woohoo. I'm excited (laughs) to try it. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you. All right, you guys, that is our show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in for the continued support on the show. I love you guys with all my heart and have a wonderful rest of your week. You can check me out over at shinenaturalmedicine.com as well as drlaurennoel.com for any of the previous shows that we've done. And for all the love on iTunes, thank you so much. If you've loved the show and you've been getting some value out of it, please go over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review and say that the show is awesome. I read all those and that would just make me smile from ear to ear. Have a great rest of your week, you guys. Take care and we'll check you next week. Bye. 
This is your wallet. I've got my hands full with your credit card's ID and that Froyo loyalty card. So I was thrilled to learn about the new digital wallet in the Giant Eagle app. It'll let you store, manage, and spend all your gift cards right from your phone. E-gift cards you buy from Giant Eagle and Getco will load automatically. And you can even transfer plastic gift cards there, too. Download the Giant Eagle app and start using the digital wallet today. Visit GiantEagle.com backslash wallet for details. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.